Well, hello and good afternoon, everyone. Um, so, like I said, I have been doing um, some research, and I actually have two stories uh, for you today, um, because this is a problem that has actually been going on for uh, God knows how long, but um, because... Uh, you know, because these indigenous women are basically just not, uh, they're not investigated. They're not really, um, it's very hard to track the down, track them down because police a lot of the times don't want to get involved because it has to do with a lot of, you know, the, their tribe or their, their Indian land, um, taking over and doing the investigation. But again, you don't hear about these women a lot, even when they do go missing, uh, they don't get a lot of coverage, a lot of news footage, uh, nothing. It's basically just maybe whatever town uh, they're living in or whatever, they may do a story. Um, but other than that, they don't get the publicity like, you know, some of these. I'm not going to say white, but let's face it. Uh, yes. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, so I did some research. And the first story I'm going to tell you or you know, discuss with you, is the disappearance of Ashley Loring Heavy Heavy Runner. Um, she was 20 years old when she was last seen in June of 2017. Um, friends described her as, you know, very smart, emotionally, spiritually, physically strong, positive, athletic, always willing to help somebody. Um, Ashley was a member of the Blackfeet Indian Reservation in Montana, and she was actually enrolled in the Blackfeet. Uh, feet community college, um, where she was steadily studying, uh, inner, inter, <laughs> sorry, can't talk environmental science. Um, and you know, the reservation, it does expand, um, more than 1.5 million acres. So it's actually larger than the state of Delaware. Um, so Ashley's sister, Kimberly, um, kind of knew something was off when, um, Ashley's sister had returned from a trip, uh, from Morocco to visit her fiance. Uh, the plan had been for Kim Kimberly to move Ashley into her apartment, uh, so they could start, you know, living together and, and doing all that fun stuff as sisters do. Um, Ashley never contacted her sister when she returned, and call any calls and messages to her phone had went unanswered. That was red flag number one. So immediately her family had thought maybe she had gone to visit a friend, had lost her phone, you know, something had happened. But when the father, or, you know, Ashley's father was hospitalized uh, for liver failure, and there was still no word from Ashley, that's when something clicked and something knew that something was wrong. Um, so Kimberly began reaching out on Ashley's, you know, social media accounts, seeing if anybody had been in contact with her, anybody had heard from her. Um, but nobody apparently had been in contact with her since June 5th. So on that night, um, according to Ashley's Facebook, um, tracking like her posts and stuff, uh, Ashley had contacted various friends on Facebook Messenger asking for a ride into town from her family's ranch. Um, someone from the reservation posted a short video of the party that she was actually attending that night, and Ashley was actually seen sitting on a couch surrounded by people, drinking, chatting, just having a good time. Um, 
Kimberly, the sister, had received a message from Ashley that night asking if she could send her money, but she couldn't as, you know, her sister was in Morocco. She asked Ashley, you know, is everything okay? She replied yes, so she didn't think anything of it. Typical thing, you ask, whatever, it's fine. Um, so then Kimberly actually went to the Blackfeet uh, law enforcement and the tribal law enforcement for help, who uh, they together had launched a three-day search, and after the search, um, nothing had come about. So it was eventually taken to the Bureau of Indian Affairs almost two months, though, before getting involved in the case. Um, so two weeks after Ashley was last seen, her family received their first tip. Um, someone had received, or someone had seen a young woman running from a vehicle on U.S. Uh, Highway 89 on the reservation. The area is known to everyone as being very desolate, surrounded by swamp, dense forests. Um, unfortunately, you know, a search was conducted and nothing was ever found. Um, so they did find, I mean, they did find a gray sweater, which they thought could have belonged to Ashley, but nothing has been, ever been proven. Um, so feeling that her sister's, you know, case was not being taken seriously, um, because she was getting, you know, indifference from FBI and then the Indian official, like the FBI was basically not taking her seriously. So Kimberly just decided to take matters in her own hands and she began conducting searches regularly on the reservation and basically started making phone calls, reading messages, following up on leads. Um, and she soon discovered that the gray sweater that they had found had never been sent to the crime lab. Instead, it just sat at the BIA for months. Now, that is a, that's what's always been a big problem with a lot of these missing indigenous women that, you know, maybe they'll do their search and either they're just too busy, something comes up, but it just always seemed like there is a pattern of just holding, holding the search off or holding on to certain things that could potentially help solve the case or help locate her. Um, so during one of the family's many, many searches, uh, weeks after she had been declared missing, the family also found a tattered sweater and a pair of red stained boots. Uh, the sweater was torn and had red stains, which obviously they thought was blood. Um, the items were found on the northern edge of the reservation, not far from the house, owned by 52-year-old Sam McDonald. Now, prior to her disappearance, Kimberly knew her sister had been struggling, uh, trying to deal with the death of their grandfather and um, a breakup that she had. Um, so this, you know, led Ashley to, you know, begin experimenting with drugs, hanging out with uh, a crowd that she was not normally known to hang out with. And this crowd included, huh, Sam McDonald. Um, so Sam McDonald was actually one of the last people Ashley uh, Lauren was uh, with before her disappearance. Um, he even admitted he had been partying with her for a few days. He claimed he had saw Ashley on the morning of June 11th. Um, he had stated that Ashley asked him to drive her to a pull-off in the reservation so that someone named V-Dog could pick her up. Sorry, that kind of sounds like, um, just a made-up story. I'm sorry. <laughs> that just doesn't sound right to me. Um, but he said he had remembered falling asleep in the car, and when he woke up, Ashley Ashley was nowhere to be seen. How convenient. Um, he said after looking around for her 
Um, he assumed she had gotten a ride with the guy that uh, was supposed to pick her up and he had left the area. Um, he was questioned at his house, um, and the house was searched multiple times, but no arrests were ever made. Um, the items of the clothing they had found on his property, though, were turned over to be tested, but yet again, nothing has come from it. And we still don't know if those items were actually tested or not. So, nine months after Ashley goes missing, the FBI, the FBI decided to take control and took investigators into the nearby states and off the reservation. So, V-Dog, real person, is actually known as Paul Venezuela and is a man in his 50s with a known criminal record. Now, Paul and his wife, Tasha Running Crane, T, as she was known as, were investigated by police and their residents were searched. Um... Nothing was ever found. Obviously, Paul and T were in a rocky relationship, and Ashley's family had said that Ashley and Paul were actually seeing each other before her disappearance. So that gives another twist to the case. Could have been that something, it was a lover's coil, whatever that word is, and something went wrong. Um, but a month after Ashley's disappearance, Paul had filed divorce from T, who had said that she did not know about their relationship until Ashley disappeared. Eh, you don't know if that's true or not. Uh, but to, to this date, nobody, the police have not named any other suspects. No arrests have been made. Uh, Kimberly, her sister, ended up testifying to Senate members about her experience and struggle of the mismanagement of the evidence of, the evidence of her sister's case. And that really needs to be brought forth, too, because... I mean, if, if you're going to get evidence and not go forward on it, what's the point of even investigating? And I could see, I mean, I would be frustrated if my sister or someone I cared about went missing and nobody took it seriously or they just sat on the evidence. It's like, really? What if that was your family member? Um, but since, you know, Ashley's disappearance, and this was almost, uh, you know, this was 2017, uh, Kim, her sister, has actually quit her job, moved home, and continues to this day searching for her sister. She has conducted more than 120 searches, also, mind you, with little help from the authorities. And that just speaks volumes, because why aren't they helping? Why aren't they trying to look for this woman that possibly could have been met with foul play? And this happens to a lot of you know, the, the indigenous women, they, something happens and nobody either takes it seriously or not that nobody cares, but it almost seems like nobody cares. And I could see how frustrating that would be. Um, so that was one of the stories that I had researched. It's, it's, it's to me, that's just heartbreaking that, you know, these people did see her and there was video of her, but Yet nobody knows what happened. She just uh, obviously just managed to vanish into thin air. Um, and you got to wonder, is that witness correct? That they saw a woman, you know, running, you know, down the highway. And if so, was that Ashley? What was she running from? You know, what was going on that made her, especially in that area, um, because that is not an area that she was known to even, you know, really be around unless she was with Sam you know did something happen at the house was there an argument between her and Sam and you know he either got violent or threatened or you know something scared her if that was really Ashley running down the highway um so next I did uh, another research on Alyssa McClure 
Um, so I'll tell you a little bit about that case. I'm trying to get these these names out there. So you know what? If if <laughs> I mean, just imagine if someone went missing that you loved and nobody cared, and this is what all these people, all these indigenous people, are feeling right now. Nobody is looking for these women. Nobody. <coughs> Sorry. So, on April 9th of 2009, uh, Alyssa McClure, a member of the Aloon tribe and a mother of a young daughter, uh, was living in Kent, Washington. So, on April 9th, Alyssa's grandmother, Barbara, had called her to tell her that her mother, who was actually suffering, now I don't know how to pronounce this disease, so don't, don't be mad at me, <laughs> but was suffering from sclerodrama. I don't know what that is, but um, apparently she had called her because things were taking a turn for the worse with her mother. Um, Alyssa had told her grandma that she was coming home uh, to be with her mother, um, but she never arrived. Um, her mother actually, unfortunately, died three days later, never knowing why her daughter had never shown up. Um, so the family is not very clear on the timeline of the disappearance. Um, they did file a missing persons report, but were told by police that they could not do anything with that report until 24 hours have passed. Now, that has always bugged me because uh, everybody knows uh, with if a child goes missing, anyone goes missing, those first 48 hours are the most critical hours. So if you lose that, you lose the potential and the evidence and people's memories as well of of anything. So for them, who knows? You know, she could have went missing a day before. And if they wait another 24 hours, that is that 48 hours where that either kid or child or whatever is either dead, you're never going to find any leads, or she's, yeah, it's, it, it's, I never thought that that was okay when it came to a missing person. When someone reports their child or their loved one as missing, why wait 24 hours? Why can't the police just say, okay, let's start investigating? Worst case scenario, maybe they are just drunk at somebody's house and just their phone died. Worst case scenario, at least you know. But for those people that never came home, those hours, instead of waiting 24 hours, those hours could have been spent searching for this person, looking where they were, um, talking to people, witnesses, anything. Because people, oh, that has always been a very frustrating thing for me. Um, so the next day, after they had reported her missing, um, on the evening of uh, April 10th at 9.15, this is why I hate this 24-hour rule, so literally one day, 10-second call was made to 911 from her phone. The dispatcher had heard a woman who was frantically just asking for help, but before the dispatcher could even respond or ask her where she was, the line had went dead. So obviously when she had went missing, when she didn't come home, she was something happened. She was with somebody because it came from her phone. So in that 24 hours, instead of waiting that 24 hours like the police wanted to, they could have been investigating and seeing, you know, tracking her movements from that night before. And they possibly could have found her. How are you not getting this? <laughs> Sorry. It's not funny, but it's like, it's so simple. Because literally the day later, they receive a 911 call 
And it is believed, it is from, well, it's not believed, but it is from Alyssa's phone. But then they're going to say, oh, well, we don't know if that was her or not. But come on, like, let's, this is what just frustrates me about these cases sometimes. Um, the police did actually try to track down the phone call, but they weren't able to because the phone itself didn't have a GPS tracker on it. Um, but the police believe the call was made in Kent. Um, so a few days, like a day later, the phone goes out of service again. Something was going on during those two days. Obviously, she was alive. She was well. Something was going on. Um, two sightings of Alyssa, uh, the day she disappeared, were actually reported. So one witness had spotted her uh, near 30th Avenue South and Kent Des Moines Road on uh, Kent's West Hill when she was approached by a green 1990s um, model pickup truck. The witness states that they believed the truck had out of plate or out-of-state plates. Um, another witness had came forward and said that Alyssa was uh, seen with a man, a white man in his 50s or 60s. And get this, the man reportedly had a green truck. So, something happened. We don't know exactly, but if the police did not wait that 24 hours and just didn't lolly-dolly, gilly-golly around, um, they possibly could have saved this woman. I mean, we don't know if she's still alive, if she's dead. There's a lot of speculation that she got, you know, she was kidnapped uh, for sex trafficking, which is a big deal. Um, but this all could have prevented if they just got on the fucking case when the fi- when the family filed the police report, for reported her missing. Instead, no, they wait and then they get a 911 call from her. How crazy is that? Like, how stupid do these police feel? I mean, they probably don't, you know, give a shit, but like, seriously, this, this probably, this woman could have still be with her child right now if they would have just jumped into action and started retracing her steps from that night. Because obviously she was alive. Something was going on. She was able to get a hold of her phone and try to call 911. So something, she obviously was in danger. She tried to call. They should have gotten on it. That's what infuriates me about these cases. And this is why I want to put their names out there. Because if, if if you don't look for them and nobody knows about these cases, how do you know if, like, the person that you see at when you're at dinner or something and she looks very uncomfortable, how do you know that's not the person that someone's missing? May make you feel uncomfortable, but guess what? At least just look it up, people. Um, there's so many other, you know, indigenous women that have been, you know, just vanished without a trace and nothing has been done. I just covered two of them, but there, you know, there's Tiffany Reed that's been missing since May of 2014. She was 16 years old, you know, went, went to school, but never made it. What happened? What happened? Um, just look it up, people. Just do that. I know I'm very passionate about passionate when I you know tell you these stories. It's because I get very infuriated that a lot of these things could have been prevented if people either took them seriously, the police took them seriously, or didn't wait that stupid 24 hours. When someone goes missing, it means something. Maybe it's out of character. Maybe it's not. Who cares? Go for it. Look into it. Ugh. All right. 
Uh, that is uh, enough for me today. I'm getting myself all worked up. Hope you all have a good Thanksgiving, and I will probably see you next week. Couple, couple.